It's Chris and Brian Jones, your real estate advocates, community connectors, talking Charlotte and York County area real estate, and interviewing business owners, entrepreneurs, and community leaders. Welcome to the Jones Zone Podcast. Yeah, man. All right, it's Chris and Brian Jones with the Jones Zone at Keller Williams Realty. Uh, how are you doing, Brian? Uh, been better. <laughs> yeah, no, Brian's got a back uh, back injury, injury, but it's all good. It's it's it'll be all good. It'll be fine. We're here today. Today's guest is uh, Jeremy Orell. He's with Great Grappling Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. I always have to say it's Great slow. Grappling Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. He's with GGBJJ. There yeah. it is. Uh, how you doing, man? I'm doing well. I, thanks for having me uh, on the podcast. I uh, appreciate the opportunity to po- talk about the things that I love. Yeah, yeah, man. Good. Thanks for having us. We just shot a video with you. That should be pretty funny. Dude, that uh, was hilarious. That's gonna be the. I think that's gonna be the funniest video we've had. It probably, probably will be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think anytime someone gets a chance to see me get slapped around, you in particular. Yeah. You find some humor into it. Definitely. Um, so um, thanks for having us in. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your story, man? All right. Uh, my name is Jeremy Arell. Um, I have a physical education degree. I went through Winthrop University, so that's uh, my school. Um, I did some time in the military, National Guard, about three years of that on active duty between uh, training and Iraq. Uh, And then when I graduated college, I I did some security work. uh, And then I realized, you know, I'd been training martial arts basically my whole life. Uh, I realized that martial arts is what I wanted to do as a profession uh, instead of just a job. So, I had a lot of introspection and, and thought about where I was going to go with that and how I was going to do it. Uh, and ultimately, I, I came up with the, the realization or came to the realization that if I wanted to do Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu for a living, that I probably needed to go to Brazil to, uh, to further my So training. let me stop you right there because for people listening, there's interested versus committed. He moved to Brazil. Yeah, that's crazy, dude. He, he had this passion. <laughs> And this vision, he packed up and moved to Brazil to study under the best. That's impressive, man. Was your family kind of shocked or um, supportive? I think everyone I knew was in disbelief yeah. because I told everyone, I was like, well, yeah. I'm moving to Brazil. And they're like, no, you're not. And um, now, you know, 10 years ago, it was a different, different landscape there than it is now. Uh, there is some infrastructure if you guys wanted to go train in Brazil that you could safely do that through a committed business that would take care of you. Um, that infrastructure was not there yet when I decided to go. And so I think there were a lot of people that were just skeptical that it was really going to happen. And so when I started telling people, they said, ah, you're not going. And of course, the way that I am, I don't, I don't ever want to be one of those people that says I don't follow through on the things that I do. Mm-hmm. And so that kind of just fueled it a little bit more for me. Um, I, <laughs> I got online and um, I just went onto a forum and I was like, hey, does anyone know anyone in Brazil? That's, that's how I made my connection in Brazil. Does that's anyone, how you did it? That's how I did it. Um, what forum was this? It was uh, the SureDog forums. Which oh, is like oh, okay. A, uh, SureDog, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. So uh, on that forum, somebody's like, hey, you need to talk to this guy, Dennis. And um, I got a hold of Dennis and uh, he had just started his business. He had been doing that that job for a long time, but he had stopped doing it at, on like a one-for-one basis and started doing like an advertisement and got a house specifically for people to come stay. And I was one of the first three people to go stay in that house. Was he an American? That he was, oh, yeah. Okay. Um, and he spoke fluent Portuguese. Um, uh, his name's Dennis Ash. He actually just opened an academy in uh, Oregon. And uh, 
he was instrumental in uh, getting not just myself, but a lot of people to Brazil to get to train. So that was a, um, a unique experience. Basically, if Dennis hadn't responded to me on the forum, um, I bought my plane ticket and I bought my, I had my passport, I got my visa. I would have just went down there and got off the plane and been like, jujitsu, jujitsu, <laughs> anyone, yeah, anyone, yeah, anyone jujitsu, Bueller, like you know Bueller, you know, they're like, um, and having been to Brazil now, that would have been insanity. That would have been such a terrible experience. Thank goodness for that. I don't even know what I would do without Dennis. So, um, very lucky to know Dennis. Uh, he, he got me set up there. Um, and I started writing about my experiences in Brazil. And so, Writing about my experiences in Brazil uh, helped bring not just uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, you know, uh, training Brazilian jiu-jitsu in Brazil to the forefront of our sport, but also uh, kind of gave a known pathway for other people that wanted to go to Brazil and train yeah. uh, that option. So is this like a blog or is this a journal or what do you mean? It was a blog. It was I just posted it on SureDog. Okay. Um, and I would do daily. I would do. Three to four times a week, I would do updates between eight and twelve thousand words usually. Uh, when I got into the swing of it, um, now it didn't start off that way. It started off as, "Hey, I'm going to blog about my ex- or I'm going to write about my experiences going to Brazil, and like how you get your passport." Right? Some people don't know how to get a passport. They go their whole lives not even leaving their state, never mind leaving the country. Yeah. And then uh, going Isn't to that sad. Uh, it can be. I don't know. You know, like, is are they getting personally fulfilled? There are some people that can do that at home. You know, some yeah. some people they have to go some places. Right. Um, a lot of people don't need know that you need a, a visa to go to Brazil, and so for the uh, visa, you know, that isn't necessarily an easy process if you don't know how to go about doing that. Um, and so getting my passport, and my visa, I was just going to try and set up some infrastructure for people if they wanted to go down there to understand how the process worked. Um, and then it morphed into learning the language, training in Brazil, eating in Brazil, uh, experiencing uh, the culture in Brazil, because people really wanted to hear about that. And so um, if you start off reading about my experiences there and uh, you know, there's no editing with the writing or anything, sometimes it can be difficult to read just people on a forum throwing up words, uh, it definitely gets more polished the longer that I'm there. Uh, and I spent you know, six and a half months the first time, nine and a half the second time, um, throughout the course of the, that trip, uh, it becomes something that uh, w- was written in a way that people can enjoy reading, you know, Excellent. like look forward to it. Yeah. Uh, I would say that on, uh, I don't have to say, I know, on off days, I would get uh, 1,200, 1,500 views when I would make a new post. I would wow. get uh, between eight and twelve thousand. So how'd you grow that? Do you grow that organically? Just continuous content? Yeah, um, people in general are starved for content. There, people have passion about things. I guarantee you, you, got, you gentlemen have something you're passionate about. I can tell because you're here doing this, um, and I'm not paying you to be here. You're, oh, you're here. Yeah. Hey, what? Let's wrap this up. And I'm not paying you. So why are you doing that? Well. Part of it, you realize that uh, growing your business involves uh, doing professional work first and then getting paid later. You right. don't get paid first and then do professional work. You, you start off uh, providing professional work and then people recognize the work that you have. They recognize the value in it and then they pay you for it. And um, so you guys have passion for something. And I had passion for something. And there are other people in my sport that have passion for, for this as well. But um, they aren't in a position or are scared or uh, don't have the time to produce content for the thing we're passionate about. And I believe that if you invest time 
over time, constant and consistent content, people will jump on board. And you can see it with Instagram. You can yeah. see it with uh, all of these things that are, are going on social media-wise where people are just producing content. The issue is producing content is actual work. Yeah. You guys had to show up here early. You guys are going to have to edit this together. You had to film that. There was some off-camera things, yeah. behind-the-scenes things. That go, and people don't see those things. All they see is the, the, the polished, finished product that you guys put out. And so as a person that gets in, I want to produce content. It's exhausting. So what we see is people start to produce content, and then they go four, six, eight months, yeah. and then they stop. And then you're like, this is great content. And then you look on their YouTube channel, you look on their Instagram, and it's like they haven't posted anything in in three, four months. And you're like, well, now what? And I got to be towards the top of uh, writing about being in Brazil and that experiences because I didn't stop. And that's actually kind of how I got to the top of doing jiu-jitsu. I wasn't a phenom. I don't want to say top. I'll say I'm top 1%. But one think about how many people do jiu-jitsu, right? Uh, you know, if, if this was a professional, right? No, if it was a professional sport, if it was the NFL, I would be good enough to be in the pros, but I would be sitting on the bench. I'm not an all-star player. Hey, you know, you're, but, you're in the pros. Right, I, but I'm in the pros. I got to where I am by being constant and consistent. I show up to class and I just kept coming when everyone else got tired and they went home. And so like, it's not that I have mystical powers. It's just that I have experienced this content over and over and over again until it becomes second nature. And that's professionalism. You know, you show up, I show up even when I don't want to be here. So you go to Brazil, you start studying. Now, was Dennis your instructor too? Or he just kind of facilitated everyone coming over? He he was a facilitator. Uh, His instructor was Roberto Coher, also known as Gordo. Gordo. Uh, Yeah, Gordo. Not fat, even though his name, we talked about that last time. Um, And... I had never heard about him. He was probably the most famous jiu-jitsu instructor that I had, hadn't heard about because at a time when a lot of the famous instructors were moving to America, uh, he stayed back in Brazil. And so um, I hadn't said, I'm going to move to Brazil to train with Gordo. I said, I'm just going to move to Brazil. Super lucky. So I say Dennis was the lucky part, right? Yeah. Yeah, that was lucky. But getting Gordo, at the, I mean, like, Dennis is like, have you heard about this guy Gordo? I'm like, no, let me Google that, you know? And so I put it in Google and I I recognize a lot of the names of people that have been trained by him and I see his accomplishments. And so I'm like, man, this guy's legit. This will be a good place to train. That was probably the understatement of a century, you know, Um, meeting Gordo and being able to train with Gordo on a day-to-day basis. You know, I didn't, I didn't visit him for a couple weeks, you know, like I, I lived down there. And so I saw Gordo every day. We had interactions daily. Um, You know, I would get to go climb that mountain, Pedro Gavio, Gordo, you know, go to tournaments and stuff. Yeah, it was pretty cool. And so, like, I, I developed a relationship with Gordo, and I could never have, um, never guessed that he would be the type of instructor that he is, uh, because I didn't know him. You know, it was just unfathomable to me. Um, but meeting Dennis, probably the second luckiest thing that happened to me in my career, meeting Gordo, number one, for sure. Yeah. How long were you in Brazil, and what did, what did your milieu look like? What was your day-to-day? You guys... Did you guys wake up as a group? So, like I said, the uh, the house started with three people. Okay. Uh, myself, uh, Pascal Kraus, who is in the UFC uh, now. Okay. And uh, guy Ryan. Uh, the three of us started there. Uh, kind, <laughs> it was basically just a house, and it was close to the academy. It didn't. It it started to turn and morph more into like a a fighter house or. Um, 
more than a hostel, but less than like a five star hotel. You know what I mean? Like we need to have uh, realistic expectations for what we're getting. You know, we had a house. Sometimes there were twenty competitors staying in the house. Now it was a big house, five bedrooms. Um, there are three bathrooms, big yard, and stuff like that. So, um, the day to day. When I before I went to Brazil, I would chain eight to twelve times a week. That was like normal. Sometimes I'd get in 15, 18. I could train as much as I could find training partners. But what you need to remember is that I was towards the top of the food chain in my area. Um, and then going to Brazil, I was no longer the top of the food chain. I probably wasn't even in the middle of the food wow. chain. Um, and that's not because I wasn't good. It's because everyone in the room was good. Right. And so knowing where I fit in in the pecking order, talking about pro level where I stand. It's just self-awareness. Like when you get in there and you mix it up with the best in the world, like, yeah, I mix it up. I'm a good training partner. But, you know, to think that I'm smashing them, I would never tell that lie. You know what I mean? Because they know and I know and everyone else that was in the room knows. Well, I think that's imperative to grow, you know, to to go from one level to the next, taking that humble pie, you know, because when you're training with, you know, better competitors, better Brazilian jiu-jitsu artists, and they smash you constantly, constantly, constantly. You know, it takes a mental fortitude to, to actually keep going. Absolutely. I, I totally agree. Um, so when I moved to Brazil, uh, I had been training a lot. And my training previous to Brazil was dictated by finding people to train with me. Then I go to Brazil and I can train as much as I want. There was an 8 a.m. class, a 10 a.m. class, a 2 p.m. class, a 6.30 p.m. class, and an 8 o'clock class. And each of these classes had different groups of people in it. It wasn't like the same dudes showing up all the yeah. time. And so now the governor, you know, like the, my, the, the, the thing that dictated dictator to the dictating <laughs> factor in how much I trained was how much could my body handle. And I found that it could handle, uh, realistically eight times a week. I wanted 10. Very rarely did I get 10. Most of the time I would get nine and I told you my body could handle eight, right? probably would have been smarter if I had done seven. Um, so I would do morning and night a lot of times. Uh, I would do either 8 a.m. and 6.30, or I would do two and eight. Um, and the two o'clock class we refer to as the gringo class. A lot of the people that stayed at the Connection Rio house uh, were there to train. Um, and so I spoke English well, you know, it's my <laughs> native language. And so um, I would teach a class at two. And then, of course, I would train with Gordo the other time of the day. So how'd you afford this? Did you save up money? Did you? I did. Um, my first time, I uh, saved all the money that I could. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I made an instructional DVD, which no one will nice. ever be able to find. <laughs> because I, uh, I printed them on CDs one by one out of my computer. And my friend Marty Williams helped me do that as well. I put labels on them by hand. I went down and bought those gem CD case covers and I sold them for $20 a piece out of my trunk. Now, I did not sell them as instructionals. I sold them as micro sponsorships. Mm-hmm. And um, what that allows me to do is when I say I'm moving to Brazil and everyone's like, yeah, okay, whatever. Uh, once you start taking steps towards that, there are a lot of people that talk about doing things and very few people who follow through, especially on big, big things like life. I'm, I'm moving to Brazil. Yeah. Um, and secretly, a lot of people want to do that stuff, but they're tied down to either their jobs, student loans, children, relationships, parents, and those aren't bad things. So, you know, sometimes we take those on willingly, sometimes they're thrust upon us. But I was in a unique place. I had graduated college, I had finished my time in the military, so I'm out of the military, 
And I was at a place in my life where I knew that I could make a decision that would define my life. Well, everyone wants that. And what I did by having that micro sponsorships was create a way for people to support me financially. And so when, when somebody's like, how can I help you? And I say, you know what? I'm selling these DVDs mm. for micro sponsorships, 20 bucks a piece. People could give me two, right? No problem. And so I'm, I'm just selling these DVDs right. and I raised uh, $3,000, $4,000 selling $20 DVDs yeah. out of my trunk, basically. Um, and so that got me started. Um, living in Brazil is extremely cheap. So, excuse me. Surviving in Brazil is extremely cheap. Excelling in Brazil is extremely expensive. And so if you're going down there to train, right? I'm not going down there to sit on the beach and drink coconuts. I'm not going down there to go sightseeing, although I did some of that, don't get me wrong. Mm, Um, I went down there to train. So I could get rice, beans, chicken, and steamed vegetables for four bucks, prepared, handed to me. You could go get a tomato or a potato for five cents. You know, like, and so when you start talking, how much does it cost to live in Brazil? Well, if you're talking about food, food, fruit, and uh, fruit vegetables are extremely cheap, and their meat is actually pretty cheap as well. I, I believe at the time they were the number two beef exporter in the world. Don't quote me on that, although <laughs> people are going to quote me on that because this is being recorded. But um, meat wasn't overly expensive either. Okay. Um, and so the amount of money to get there uh, was the expensive part. The visa, the passport and the most expensive being the plane ticket. Uh, Dennis had a very uh, reasonable price staying down there because it was not like um, hotel accommodations. It was house accommodations that uh, were split with a bunch of other guys right. and ladies. So you've been in Brazil for what, 15? You did two, two did separate tours? Six I guess, tours. So to speak. <laughs> I, I wouldn't compare it to war stints. There we go. Stints. <laughs> um, and I wasn't playing a guitar. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, um, six and a half months the first time, and then I came home to sell all my belongings. My uh, goal was to move there forever. Oh, wow. And so when I came home, I wanted to go immediately back, but I had overstayed my visa a little bit. And uh, you have to pay a fine upon re-entering. I knew that that was the case. Uh, but you can't be there more than six months out of a year on a, on, a, uh, on a visitor's visa. And so I had to wait seven months more to go back. I had to let that, that time period, ex- uh, it was, I only had to wait six months, but I ended up waiting seven. Um, and then I went back for nine and a half months. And then at what point did you decide you were going to come back and open up a school, or was that did that come later? Um, I knew I wanted to do jiu-jitsu for a living. I had been teaching in one aspect or another for a while, interacting with jiu-jitsu in that aspect. Um, but I hadn't planned on coming back until in between trips I met my wife. Uh, she was not my wife at the time, <laughs> but um, we when we started uh, going out and dating and, and having, you know... Uh, um, a relationship it was with the understanding I was moving back to Brazil forever and I think that that probably allowed us to remove a lot of the tension and anxiety around having a relationship yeah. for the first time because the expectations were extremely low yeah uh, and it was one of those definite uh, uh, it overperformed you know what I mean like <laughs> I had low expectations and it just it, yeah. it was a hot um, high reward situation. Interesting strategy for all the single fellas. <laughs> Just tell everyone you're moving to Brazil. You know, I'm um, moving to Brazil. I'd love to get a relationship uh, yeah. started with you, but I'm moving to Brazil. <laughs> so uh, we uh, we started dating, um, and the relationship proceeded in a way that we didn't want it to end, um, but she knew that I needed to go back to Brazil 
um, until I got my black belt. And I didn't know how long that could take. I figured best case is uh, six months to two years. So uh, I sold still most of my belongings to make that happen. Um, shout out to one of my good friends from high school who bought my couches and my TV. <laughs> you know, like the big ticket items yep. uh, <laughs> from me. Um, he, uh, Michael Caps. Shout out Caps. to him, Michael Caps. Good job, Michael Caps. Yeah, he's uh, he is finishing his doctorate for mathematics at uh, oh. University of Boulder. Yeah, so oh, man. He, doctor uh, in mathematics. Oh, yeah. Oh, I, can't even, dude, I can't even imagine. Yeah, well, oh. he was in, he was in the Navy, got out of the Navy, and then he worked on robots. And then after oh. working on robots, he got. I mean, he's super smart guy, and you know. Um, do you listen to Joe Rogan podcast? I do. Do you, you hear this last one with Alex Jones? Or I have not. Oh, so good. I'll have to go back. It's so good. To. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine um, those two. Oh, so yeah, there was hilarious. It took me uh, another nine months to get my black belt. Um, so on the shorter end of things, I would have expected it a little bit longer. But um, you know, Gordo knows what he's doing, and mm -hmm. uh, I guess this is probably a testament to him knowing what he's doing. And uh, I got my black belt a couple weeks after getting my black belt. I moved back to the states, and uh, and then started the process of starting my business. So. Um... When you come back to the states and you start the process of starting your business, what does that look like? I mean, did you did you did you compete and stuff too, or I did. did uh, I I I competed as much as I could at the time. You know, like uh, I have to split my time between training and then growing my business. And starting a business is one of those times where it's like starting a fire. You know, like you get down and you don't have any gasoline. You know, gasoline's money. <laughs> right? Like you can start a fire real easy if you have infinite money. You just keep pouring gasoline onto the fire. Uh, but I didn't have any. And so it's one of those things where you, you get down on your hands and knees and you do the hard work. You start your little ember and you just, you're blowing on it and trying to get it to turn into something that can sustain itself. I mean, did you like lease a little space? I did. I had, you're the teacher? Or yeah, I was work? the teacher. And okay. so uh, four buildings down from here, uh, we rented that first place. We looked at uh, over 30 locations. We went inside and looked at them. Um, we pulled demographics for uh, the type of people that lived around that area. Uh, and then, you know, it was at a time where the economic crisis was happening. This was 2011. Okay. Um, and so I started my business in an economic crisis. Great. I don't recommend Good that. Thinking. Um, but I, I, I will go as far to say that that's a testament to the passion and dedication that I have for, for the business as well. And so, um, we rented that place down there and eight months later we outgrew it and we had to move here and, uh, we're in a process of growth right now, and my hope is that we can, you know, obtain the money to get a loan uh, to get uh, uh, the building that we want. You know, Great nice. Grappling 3.0. I would really like uh, 10 to 12,000 square feet. I would like to have a um, regional training center where people want to train jujitsu. They come, they come train here. That's that's my end goal. Um, and so the things that I'm doing are. In that. All right, let's take a couple minutes to talk about great grappling then. So sure. what do you guys provide? What what are the classes and what's the structure look like? I mean, tell us a little bit about what you guys provide and offer right now. Sure. So um, we have classes morning and evenings. Uh, in the mornings, uh, Mondays and Wednesdays, we have ladies only. They'll probably start trekking in here pretty shortly. Uh, then on Tuesdays and Thursdays, we have co-ed classes from 11 to 1. Uh, the evening, uh, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, uh, kids from 5.30 to 6.30, that kid's class is 7 to 12-year-olds. Um, then the curriculum class on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, that's where I teach the moves. Non-resistant training, compliant partners. You know, your partner is helping you learn the move. 
But the thing that makes jujitsu amazing is that we have resistance training every night as well, where they don't want you to do the move, and that is directly following the non-resistance training. So you practice it with a compliant partner, mm -hmm. and they try to do it to them when they don't like it. Oh, and, okay. You know what I mean? Like, um, which can be extra difficult when they know what's happening. You know? uh, so depending on what day of the week is going to dictate the type of resistance training, um, we have a drills class on Tuesdays and Thursdays from 6.30 to 7.15. That's a most intense cardio class. It, that one is with a compliant partner, uh, but it's practicing gross motor movements for jujitsu. You know, teaching you how to move your body in a way that maybe you've grown your whole life and you've never experienced. So what's the difference between Brazilian jujitsu and other forms of martial arts? I mean, someone's saying... They take Taekwondo or they're in karate. I mean, what are some of the distinguishing aspects of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu? Um, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is unique in the fact that it's both a self-defense art and a sport. Um, having it be a sport means that we have resistance training and we have tournaments against other people that are also trained. I believe that uh, training to beat someone that knows how to train, you know what I mean, is much easier than, than trying to beat someone that doesn't know anything. And so... Um, Primarily, jiu-jitsu is a grappling art. That means that there is no punching or kicking. It is a lot like wrestling or judo. Um, the rule set is obviously different than wrestling and judo because it's its own art and sport. Um, but taekwondo uh, has uh, kicking and punching. It is also a sport. But if you watched it, it would be the difference between uh, baseball and soccer. Both great sports, both have top-end athletes, uh, both both um, train very hard, and they're both very viable sports, but they're very different. So uh, jiu-jitsu takes place primarily on the ground, although all of the matches start standing. So takedowns uh, and throws uh, are parts of jiu-jitsu as well. Okay. Um, I want to talk to you a little bit about uh, your YouTube channel. You, we touched on it a little bit earlier about your content and how imperative that is to grow your business and to have a following and and that's something that we're trying to do as well so how other than consistency what were some of the other key things you did to grow your audience and to have such a large YouTube following uh, consistency is probably the most important thing I don't know how else to put that you can yeah. put out crap right and even if it's really bad people will talk about bad <laughs> you know <what> I mean <laughs> yeah. that might not be what you want but that that's the reality um, quality of the product is important, um, whether that's lighting and uh, video quality, which you'll notice some of my older videos, I've got some videos that are seven years old up there now, that um, the quality wasn't great. You can hear the lights in the background, <laughs> yeah. right? And um, it was a struggle every time to just try to improve the quality of the video uh, at the same time as providing good content in the video. And so um, I believe that having good content also helped me out. Uh, I trained a lot. I train a lot. I'm a physical education teacher, and so I have the ability to teach to an audience that is larger than just one or two. Uh, I think that that's a valuable skill when it comes to teaching via uh, video. Um, and one of the things that you'll notice uh, about the internet is someone will disagree with you all the time. Mm -hmm. The internet is a harsh, harsh, harsh place. And so if you are going to place something on YouTube or out there for your peer group to be reviewed, uh, YouTube is a peer-reviewed place. 
and they have thumbs up and thumbs down. It's, you know, like yeah. old school, you know, like, uh, <laughs> yeah, the Coliseum, you know, yeah. like thumb down Rome, you know, and, um, thankfully my videos have a lot of thumbs up in comparison to thumbs down. And I would say that in general, my videos are well reviewed by my peer group and that's important to me. So offering free content on YouTube, like videos, a lot of your videos are, um, things that you would teach in a class right? absolutely so offering that for free online to anyone that wants to access it mm -hmm. how do you think that's helped your business do you feel like it makes me more accessible when you okay. put my name into Google you yeah. know I come up and probably the first four pages um, of Jeremy Arell's um, and I think that that's important because we're in a day and age whenever you think about anything you know if your daughter's getting ready to go date someone. It's the first thing you do, you're like, let's see who this clown is, right? You put him into, yeah. you, know, you put him into Facebook. You put him into Google. Like, you want to find out something about this person. You don't want to go in cold. Um, and I think that that's important. Um, I'm on a lot of different platforms within my sport. Um, I'm BJJ Heroes. I have a Wikipedia page. I have the blog. I have the YouTube channel. I have my own website. Um, I'm on Yelp. I'm on Rate My BJJ Instructor. And so. When you Google me or you look for my online footprint, uh, it should be easy to find. Um, one of the things that um, people getting into business don't understand uh, when you're in the business of what I am, interacting with people, this is an experience, jiu-jitsu. I'm teaching you something, but when you walk in the door, it's an experience. I'm part of that experience, and so I don't have a private life, really, anymore. Um, and that's something that some people have a hard time understanding. Like... Uh, I don't put a lot of, um, you need to be careful about what you put online, Yeah. about your family, about yeah. your family, about yourself, because um, you don't want to alienate people. You want to bring people together. Uh, every business should be about bringing people together, yeah. in my opinion. So um, when you are putting something online, that should be at the forefront of your mind. Excellent. Um, are you currently the teacher now, or are you basically focusing on business development aspect of your company? No, totally the teacher. So do you, <laughs> do you do all those platforms yourself, like the blogs, YouTube, you upload those all yourself? Or? Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, it's a grind, yeah, gentlemen. Um, there are people that are smarter than me. There are people that are better at jiu-jitsu than me. Um, but when the other schools start up and things like that, I, I don't get too upset about that. I believe a rising tide rises all ships. You know, a good jiu-jitsu school opens up across town. That's good for us. You know, like we're going to market jiu-jitsu together. Um, but uh, what was the question again? One more time? You asked him if he does it all himself. That, yes. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to get outworked. And so uh, I put things, you look at my calendar, this is an example of that, right? Yeah. And why am I in my uniform? I'm in my uniform because we did something in my uniform, but yeah. I've got class coming up in, in 40 minutes and I'm going to have to go teach that. Yeah. And so then after I get done teaching that, uh, depending on what day it is, you know, I might have private lessons. I might have um, making YouTube videos, curriculum building, uh, planning seminars, planning self-defense demonstrations and things like that because people don't know about jujitsu. And they won't know about the thing I'm passionate about unless I take it to them. You cannot have a Field of Dreams attitude. Familiar right. with that uh, movie? Mm -hmm. Right? Well, what was the What was the motto in Field of Dreams? If you build it, he will come. That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard, man. Build it, they he will come. They will come. No, if you build it, he will come. Okay. No, it's they. That is they. 
build it and they will uh, yeah, because he's talking about all the players yeah you're right okay, okay. The, the the moral of the story is <laughs> if you start a small business you can't just build it provide a cop that's the messed up thing you find someone that's passionate about something they build an infrastructure for it right it's a quality product whatever it is but then they don't advertise it and they don't get it out there no one hears about it and then it goes under because if you don't make money you can't pay for the lights you can't pay for the rent you need to be able to eat and survive and provide for yourself and I've seen a lot of really good products go that way, and it's yeah. it's frustrating. All right, man. Well, we got to wrap it up here. Why don't you take a, a minute? Tell us how people can get in touch with you. Tell us if you guys. I know you guys run like a free week special. We do. I mean, just kind of give us uh, you the, know, the last thirty yeah. seconds. How people can get in touch with you. How can they connect with you guys? Fantastic. Uh, if you're interested in training Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, the easiest way to get started. Uh, is to just come in. Coming in is the hardest part. I'll take care of everything else. Um, uh, the easiest way to get started in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is just to come in the door. That's the hardest part about training. Uh, it's a scary thing. I can tell you that if you come here, we're going to help you. We're not going to beat you up. You know, Later on, we might beat you up. But at first, yeah. we're going to teach you how to defend yourself because beating someone that is defenseless doesn't help. So the, the easiest way to get started is come in. And our uh, address is 2040 Carolina Place Drive, Fort Mill, South Carolina, 29708. We're directly across from Baxter Village or down behind Lowe's uh, Home Improvement. We're right off of, uh, Highway 77, so it's not difficult to get to us. If you want to check out my digital footprint, you know what I mean, and see kind of what I'm doing, uh, you can see our website at www.greatgrappling.com. You can check out my YouTube channel if you want to see my teaching style at youtube.com slash ggbjj. That stands for Great Grappling Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Mm -hmm. uh, you can hit me up on uh, Wikipedia. You can kind of see a little bit about my bio there. You can look at uh, BJJ Heroes. Uh, my name is Jeremy Arell, A-R-E-L. Uh, there aren't a whole lot of Arells out there. Yeah. So, uh, it, you know, you're not going to get me mixed up with someone else if you if you spell my last name right. All right, awesome. man. Well, thanks so much, man. Yeah, thanks for your time, man. Sure. Great interview. Great interview. Thank you, Take gentlemen. it easy, buddy. Yes, sir. Thanks so much for listening to the Jones Zone Podcast with Chris and Brian Jones. We'll catch you on the next episode.